Thanks for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app, where you can also submit a prayer request. I want to encourage you to contact us if you're in need of prayer. Today, we're continuing in our series, The Anthem. Pastor is going to be reminding us just who Satan is looking to devour and what we need to know to stop him. Let's take a look at our next set of helpful steps in today's message, His Name. Well, I want to continue a message that we began last week on reversing the devil's decisions. As we all know, God has a plan for our life. Jeremiah talks about it. He said, God said, I know the plans that I think towards you. He thought thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. God's plans for you are good. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's God's plan. But the devil also has a plan, and his plan is to destroy your life. Jesus said he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is an example of what he, in an actual attack of the enemy on a person's life, in the Bible, and it's in a book in the Bible called the book of Job. You know, I mentioned last week, some people haven't read it because they think it's the book of Job, but it's not. It's the book of Job. And Job is attacked by the devil. And what happens, he attacks his, first of all, his finances. Secondly, he attacks his family. Thirdly, he attacks his, his uh, excuse me, his health. And when the devil shows up, that's really a pretty good picture of what happens. He attacks your, prob your, your finances. He brings fear, sickness, depression. Uh, with Job, there were marriage problems, uh, all sorts of different things that the devil comes, but his purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, we cannot stop him from trying, but the Bible tells us we can't stop him. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Not Joyce Myers, not Franklin Graham, he'll flee from you. Every believer, every believer, whether you've been a saint for 10 minutes or 100 years, every believer has authority over the enemy. But Peter said, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is out there. He's looking for someone to devour. And you say, who does he devour? Number one, he devours ignorant people. People that do not even think he exists. It's amazing to me how most Christians live their life as if the devil was not even real. He is real. Jesus faced him personally in temptation. And if you act like he's not real, he's able to work in your life because the Bible says when you resist him, he'll flee. And the last time you resisted is the last time he fled. So if you're not resisting, he is literally running over your life without you even knowing it. So we mentioned a few things last week. First of all, get on track, don't look back. Get on track and don't look back. Doesn't matter how bad you've messed up, get on track and then keep going. When you take a hit, don't quit. Everybody gets knocked down. The Bible says the righteous may fall seven times, but rises 
again. When you get knocked down, the unrighteous thing to do is stay down. The righteous thing to do is to get back up. Number three, refuse to run when you're under the gun. I don't know why it is that some Christians really think that, well, I just love God and I'm not going to have any problems with the devil. I I want to tell you something. I think God will make sure you have problems with the devil. You know, when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. (laughs) And then the next thing that happens, the very next thing, Matthew 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you get that? The, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the first Adam, he lost his authority. He lost his relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. But the Bible says that Jesus, he is the last Adam. And when he shows up, God is not afraid to confront the devil. In fact, he sends Jesus to confront the enemy. And the same thing is true with you and me. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. Jesus has defeated the devil. He's given you authority. And God is not afraid of the devil attacking your life. Understand that? He understands that you have the authority to rebuke the devil, and when you rebuke him, he will flee. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. In other words, your Christian faith is a fight. You don't just sit back and say, God, you know, I love you, and I read my Bible and pray, so just let everything good happen. The devil is going to attack, and you need to stand, and you need to resist, and you need to fight, and you need to claim what Jesus purchased for you, and you need to stand against the enemy and and literally show the devil that Jesus' victory is literally going to be taken and established through you, a part of of the church. Now, there's too many Christians that just sit back and just kind of have this attitude. Well, you know, devil, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Seriously. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 28. He says, because you've made a covenant with death and with Sheol, you've made an agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. He says, you literally, you have like made an agreement with the devil and devil, you just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You know, and when problems come, you'll just leave me alone and I won't, I, won't, I won't resist you. I won't be radical in my Christian life. I will just sit back and, and agree not to bother you and you don't bother me. Let me tell you something, it doesn't work. The devil does not treat well those that serve him the best. The Bible says to put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle Unfortunately, that's all most Christians do when it comes to read this verse, is we do not wrestle. Get get some Doritos, some Dr. Pepper or Coke, and veg out on Netflix. But the Bible doesn't end with we don't wrestle. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. One translation says, but our battle is against persons without bodies. Here it says against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's just saying we have a battle 
against Satan and demon power. So that's the introduction. Point number one. It's never too late to be great. It's never too late to be great. First of all, your past failures do not disqualify you. Peter, of course, denied the Lord. Abraham lied about his wife. John Mark, he abandoned Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey. David committed adultery. Noah got drunk. Paul literally was a murderer. And again, the Bible says the one thing that we should fear, Hebrews 4, is that anybody thinks they missed their chance. Your past failures do not disqualify you. Number two, well, I could point point B under point one, is this. Your age does not disqualify you, whether you're young or whether you're old. David was probably about 15 years old when he killed Goliath. He was young. But you know, Caleb took a mountain when he was 85. Moses really began his ministry at 80. I heard about two men who were discussing the aging process. One said, sure, my hair has become gray, but I'm not bald like you are. The other responded and said, that's true. My hair preferred death to dishonor. <laughs> you, might, you might be interested to know why most countries in the West have the retirement age of 65. When Bismarck was chancellor in Germany in the 1870s, he noticed that virtually every powerful enemy he had was, eight, was, was 65 years or older. So he persuaded the German legislature to pass a law making it mandatory retirement at 65. It had nothing to do with their decline in mental capacity. Rather, it was the exact opposite. It was the older men who had the wisdom and the experience and the power and the organization that were such a threat to him. Unfortunately, a lot of other European nations followed suit, and eventually it came over to the United States and was adopted here. Charles Colson said this in, in, in uh, his book, The Good Life. He said, the average American retiree watches 43 hours of television a week. Now, we'd say screen time. 43 hours! of television or screen time per week, wasting so much. You probably know that Colonel Sanders was 65 when he began to take the family recipe and began franchising his fried chicken. Uh, all he had to, to work with when he began was his Social Security check, which was $105 a month. Benjamin Franklin didn't invent bifocals until he was 78. Winston Churchill was also 78 when he wrote a book and won the Nobel Peace Prize for it. Nelson Mandela was inaugurated president of South Africa for the first time after years in prison when he was 75. I love this one. Grandma Moses, the great artist, didn't sell her first print until she was 90. Wow. My, my wife right now is with her mother celebrating her 90th birthday. Still spry, ready to go. And of course, Michelangelo didn't begin work on St. Peter's Basilica, one of the world's greatest treasures, until he was 72 years old. 
Researchers studied 400 famous people and discovered that 66% of their major accomplishments did not occur until they were 60 or older. Now, it's never too late to be great. It's never too late. And listen, the devil cannot stop you. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, I want to give you a little bit of theology behind that. In Colossians 1, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, or the kingdom or domain of darkness. One translation says, The gloom and doom of Satan's kingdom. And he's translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Literally, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. He told us to pray, Your kingdom. Come, your will be done. That's a picture of the kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So literally, there's two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to proclaim and said the kingdom of God is here. But there is another kingdom. And the Bible calls Satan the God, small g, of this world. It's of this world system. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And we have been taken out from under his domain, and we've been put into the kingdom of God. The Bible says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Jesus took Satan and demon power, and he defeated them. He disarmed them. In fact, when Jesus arose, he said, look, I am he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Literally, Jesus took the keys to Satan's own house. Come on. The devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. He is so disarmed, Jesus triumphed over him. You know, the, the word triumph was, is that we just see it, oh, it's a great victory. But actually, in Roman culture, there was a type of victory that was considered a triumph. Now, for it to be a triumph, the enemy, their, their, their head personnel, had to have been captured or killed. There had to be no possibility of them regrouping and coming back. There were actually 10 different criteria. And when all of those were met, and it would usually happen only once or twice in a person's lifetime, they would have a triumphal procession in downtown Rome. And of course, the, the, the enemy that had been defeated, many of the goods from their nation would be there, and they would take their royalty and they would literally parade them naked through the streets of Rome with the conquering hero coming behind in a chariot pulled by a white horse. And, and in fact, Cleopatra, when uh, they were defeated, she took her own life because she didn't want to be a part of the triumphant parade that was going to take place. So it's a, it's a picture of the enemy being totally, totally defeated. The Bible says that's what Jesus did. He triumphed over him. Now, Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. 
In other words, what we, you and I need to do is we need to recognize that we have an enemy who's going to try to keep us from taking what belongs to us, what Jesus purchased for us. So we're going to have to stand against him. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's why it's so important as believers that we discern what things are from God and what things are not from God. See, because when we find a work of the devil, we are supposed to stand against it, we're supposed to trample it under our feet, and we're supposed to demonstrate the victory that Jesus has purchased. The Old Testament picture of this is the children of Israel, they come out of Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, and y'all know 1 Corinthians says they're baptized under Moses in the sea and under the cloud, water baptism, spirit baptism. They go through the desert, they get to the promised land. Now, I've heard people talk about the promised land like it's heaven, but the promised land is not heaven because heaven does not have enemies. When they got to the promised land, there were seven nations, there were walled cities, there were giants, and they needed to go in and dispossess the enemy. Now, here's what God said. He said, I've given you the land. Had he given it to them? Yes. But did they need to go and take possession? Yes. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. God has given us the kingdom, but we need to go in and take possession of the kingdom. And just like they had battles, we are going to have battles. So the Bible says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Amplified says it like this. He says, I assure you most solemnly and say to you, whatever you bind, forbid, declare improper and unlawful on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. In other words, it's saying the things that you say are wrong on earth, they were wrong in heaven before you ever said anything. But what you and I need to do is we need to enforce the kingdom, enforce the victory that Jesus purchased for us. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to his power that works in us. And then it goes on and it talks about something that's really interesting, how God wants to demonstrate to principalities and powers through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, through the church. He wants to demonstrate to principalities and powers, God's manifold wisdom. In other words, what that means is God wants to use you and he wants to use me to demonstrate Satan's defeat. You've been given authority, but we have to use that authority. You are not a victim. And don't think of yourself as a victim. The Bible says that you were raised up together and been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You were raised up together with him. You are seated with him in heavenly places. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and to me. Jesus said, Mark 16, he said, these signs will follow them who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. 
They'll take up serpents. They'll drink any deadly thing. It will nobody hurt them, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, notice what it says we're to do. We are to believe in his name. Now, what most Christians do is they believe in Jesus' victory, and they believe in Jesus. But let me just say something to you. Jesus is seated right now in heaven at the right hand of God, and the Bible says that he sat down. Now, the reason he sat down was not because he was tired, right? Jesus didn't go, man, I just, I just been killed. I've been put in a grave. I've been fighting demons for three days, and now I'm risen from the dead, and I am so tired. That was really a lot of work, and I'm just going to sit down. No, he sat down because he was finished. He had done everything that he needed to do, not only to redeem us, but to give us victory, to defeat the enemy. He did it all. So most of us just believe that Jesus did it and Jesus can do it. And we do things like this and we say, God, the devil's after me, get him. But God already got him. And God's already done everything about the devil he's going to do until Jesus comes back. And Jesus sat down because he was finished. And he's given you and I authority. And that authority is in his name. John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. And greater works than these do will he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is saying that what he has done is given us power of eternity. He has given us his name. Now, when Jeannie and I got married, uh, she gave me a bicycle and 100 bucks. That's all she had. But I had, a little, I had some money. I had worked at, at Steelcase for a couple of years and saved money beforehand. But the day that we got married, she could go to the bank and just write Mrs. Vanderklok and get it all, right? But she couldn't use her maiden name, Applegarth, anymore. She had to use that new name. Now, you and I have been given Jesus' name. We've been given his name. In fact, if I were to ask you, what is the great commandment? What is the commandment in the New Testament? Most would just say, well, you know, to love, to love. And you would be half right. I want to read to you the commandment. And this is his commandment. 1 John 2, 23. That you should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is his commandment, that you should believe in the, the name. Not that Jesus can do it, but that his name will do it. That everything Jesus did, the victory he won, is in his name. So this is his commandment, that you should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Really, for New Testament believers... There's one commandment with two parts. One part is that we believe in the name. 
And the other part is that we love one another. Now, if you just believe that Jesus can do something, you're, you're, you, will, you will live a defeated life. It would be like if I wrote a check and I signed it and gave you that check for $1,000 and you went to the bank and you said, you know, I just don't, I don't think I could cash that. I know Dwayne put his name on it, but I just want him to come with me. If he was there, I know they'd give me the money. But all we've got is his name. You see, what God, what, what God has done is he has given us Jesus' name. And the Bible tells us in Philippians that God's given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've got to use the name. Now, I want to give you an example. Acts chapter 16. Paul and, and Silas are are in uh, Macedonia, and they're preaching the gospel. And it says, as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Uh, look at me just a minute. Now, notice the Bible recognizes here that there are demonic forces. Satan and demons are real. It mentions here that she had a spirit of divination. If you will go home and grab a concordance or uh, do a little studying, you'll find that the Greek actually says she had a python spirit, a python spirit, which is a picture of what Satan wants to do. How many know what a python does? It finds its prey and it wraps itself around its prey and crushes its prey. That, that is ultimately what Satan wants to do. He wants to crush our life. But this girl had a spirit. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Remember, the commandment is to believe in the, the name. Uh, this, this may be a little bit of an old illustration because nowadays everybody's got a fob for their car. But I remember the days when you had a key. Now, it didn't matter who had the key, right? The key would open the door and the key would turn on the ignition. It didn't matter if you were young or if you were old. Didn't matter your gender. Nothing mattered if you had the key. The same thing is true with Jesus' name. When you believe in the name, you say, well, I'm young, I'm old, I'm a male, I'm a female, I'm educated, I've got financial problems, I've got whatever it is, it doesn't matter because the key is believing in the name. Not that Jesus can do it, but that just the same as if Jesus were personally there. When you use that name, Jesus said he will back you up. He will do whatever is necessary, whatever is, is spoken, whatever you ask. Jesus said, I'll do it. So he commanded that spirit in the name of Jesus to come out, and it came out. 
that very hour. See, the same thing that Paul had, you and I have. It's the name of Jesus. But we've got to put faith in that name. Just about three more minutes. Let me just say this. The devil can't stop you. People cannot stop you. People can't stop you. It says it like this in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8. It says, no one has power over the spirit to restrain the spirit. Nobody has power over the spirit to restrain the spirit. Now, what that means is this. Nobody can make you do anything. Nobody can make you do anything. Nobody has authority over your spirit. You can decide where you're going, what you're going to do. Now, I know people will talk. David, when he was going to kill Goliath, his brother began to make accusations. He said, I know the insolence of your heart. With who have you left those few sheep? You've just come down to see the battle. You know, he began to criticize and to tear him down. How many ever seen a, a dog bark at a car? A while back, I went to somebody's house, and their dog was vicious. I mean, I hardly dare get out of the car. But I just thought to myself, well, bite those tires, why don't you? They are steel belted, and you're going to have broken teeth. It's kind of like, you know, let, let the dog bark, but the car moves on. And there's going to be people that are going to bark. There's going to be people who are going to say hateful things, going to do you wrong. But you know, when, when they do that, they cannot stop you because you are redeemed. The Spirit of God is inside of you, and you have received promises from God's Word. And what God says is that he will make the, the, the wisdom of the wise to be foolishness. They may attack, but you just keep on going. Every person who's ever done anything for God has had a lot of people criticize them for what they did. But that criticism, it won't stop you. They couldn't stop David. They can't stop you. God is on your side, and the blood has been applied, and every need will be supplied. You know, so many of us, we try to reach God without realizing that God has already reached down to rescue us through Jesus. And if you're watching today, but you know you're not right with God, you're away from God, and you say, I want to be right, I want to be forgiven, I want to be a child of God, I want to invite you right now to bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again, and I believe he's coming again. Today I receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. And today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I thank you, you've heard my prayer, that I'm a part of your family today and forever in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that simple prayer from your heart, you are right with God. You're forgiven. You're a part of his family on your way to heaven. But you need to keep growing spiritually. And I wrote a book. I want you to have a free copy of this book. It's called Your New Life. It's just full of bullet points to help you keep growing spiritually. All you need to do is get online, download the book, and it's going to help you keep on growing in Christ, walking by faith. God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life, and we're so excited for you. 
Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv to have a copy mailed to you or download it right there instantly. Plus, it's also available on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. We're asking you to step out and be bold. Pastor Dwayne says that your test is your testimony and we would love to hear it. Please send us a quick video from your cell phone letting us know how God is working in your life. Because our problems are ordinary and many people are struggling just as you did, you may never know whose life your story can change. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or on your favorite social platform by searching WBF TV. Also, be sure to download our app where you can listen to all past sermons, submit a prayer request, find resources, and much more. Go out there and use the power of Jesus' name. We'll see you next time.